Hello, and welcome to episode 150 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Hamesbriggan. I'm Embryonix on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And I am joined today by two lovely co-hosts. It's been a little while since we've heard from her, everybody. It's Caitlin Argeros. Hey, guys. Lynn Cazarel on the boards. I don't even know why I say it anymore. I mean, who goes there? Really? It's a habit. Old yeah. habit. I'm, I'm pretty much Lynn Cazarel everywhere. So uh, Twitter, Discord whatever so yeah that's any me. and everywhere that's Lane Crizzo great and then also we've got Greg Delmage hi uh I'm Greg Delmage and I'm G Delmage pretty much everywhere like discord and stuff and Twitter and Twitter I am at Greg Delmage there you are I think <laughs> it's more relevant me. yep for us to put our uh Twitter handles out these days because nobody's looking at those boards I just always forget to say it so I'm, I'm gonna make a point every episode to say who we are on Twitter because our thoughts are important Thing. At us. Yeah. At me sometime and see come, what. Come at me, bro. Come at me. Yeah. We will have delightful discourse on matters of games and stuff. Is that a threat, Greg? I enjoy your viewpoints on video games, Derek. Please write another essay for me. Yeah. Fight fight me with your kindness or something like that. <laughs> uh, well, guys. Aggressive niceness. Yeah. We're, it's very Canadian of us. <laughs> It's Greg's influence. I'm rubbing off on you all. You are. It's uh so it's it's a little early this morning, so uh, I'm feeling kind of groggy, but maybe we can amp ourselves up with some good old fashioned RPG chat. So today I was thinking, um, Caitlin is going to delve a little bit into the backlog because she's been playing some older stuff that we haven't discussed in a while or as in depth. So I'd like to get her perspective on it. And then Greg has been playing a recent uh, game for review that just came out yesterday. So hopefully that discussion should be timely. And uh, I've jumped into a little bit of DLC and a demo for an upcoming game that a lot of people are hyped for. So why don't we go ahead and start there? Uh, There was a surprise announcement yesterday. And the first thing I want to talk about is that Xenoblade Chronicles 2 has been continuing to get DLC for the expansion pass. And we knew that the uh, Torna the Golden Golden Country, Golden Land, whatever, the Torna DLC story expansion is coming out very soon, next month, in fact. But uh, in the meantime, they've been releasing these DLC quests and such. And uh, among those quests have been some Rare Blades. And then the uh, Challenge Arena, which has added Shulk and Fiora from Xenoblade Chronicles 1. And suddenly, out of nowhere, I saw a news article yesterday that it was like, Elma from Xenoblade X, now available in Xenoblade 2. I was like, huh, what? <laughs> I had no idea because originally when they um, had announced that they were going to be adding DLC to Xenoblade 2, they had specifically worded it on the website, New Blade, and that was it. Like, it was Blade Singular. I remember looking at the website and seeing that, and so I was assuming, as was everybody else, like, I'm sure they're going to add Shulk. And they did, but they added Fiora as well. And I truthfully thought that the cameo stuff was going to stop there. But since then, we've also gotten um, Telos from Xenosaga, and Cosmos was in the game already. If you can um, get her. Yeah, she's super rare draw or whatever. Um, but they've, they've since added even more, and they've uh, now tied together all three Xenoblade Chronicles games in some small way by adding Elma, the de facto protagonist of Xenoblade Chronicles X. So Best girl. Best girl, I agree. She is a great character. And, uh, well, which, <laughs> not to disparage her, but it's not that hard in a game um, full of not-so-great characters to be the best character. Yeah, that game does have Tatsu, and Tatsu is um, awful. IMO, but I don't know what it is. Like Ricky was a good Nopon, and then suddenly after that, they were like, you know what? Let's just make Nopon terrible and annoying. 
but yeah, they were <laughs> delightful. Why, why ruin them? Yeah, I know they're so cute. So anyway, um, I dug into the Xenoblade Two Arena DLC um, today. Actually, I hadn't really messed with it, and I wanted to uh, explore it and unlock Shulk and Fiora for the main game before I got into the Torna expansion before that came out. And then with the release of Elma, suddenly I was like, all right, now it's time to finally jump in and do it. So as of this morning, I played through the Arena DLC and unlocked all three of them for my main party. And I just wanted to share kind of my experience with it. So the the way that it's structured is um, you go into this challenge arena. There's a portal in um, the Orion Titan, uh, but the amphitheater. And when you get in there, Shulk and Fiora... Uh, come out of their own portal and the like the story canon is such that they've arrived from the Bionis or Mechonis, whatever their world is called. Um, they arrive also like they jump through a portal or something and it's like a space between worlds, which is a very convenient video gamey way of bringing together characters from different uh, stories or franchises. So um, Shulk and Fiora show up and then they meet Rex and crew and the idea is that their spirits are tethered to this in-between world, the challenge arena, but their bodies are back in their respective worlds. And to be able to bring them into Allrest, Rex's world, you have to complete a bunch of challenge fights against um, basically just like interesting or odd configurations of enemies, or some of them are older bosses that maybe you didn't fight at the same time or whatever. Um, like there's one where you play as Jin by himself and you have to beat a hundred soldiers on an Ardanian battleship which is kind of a cool idea, but it's, it ends up being a little bit monotonous. But at the very least, these fights are um, an interesting way to extend the, the sort of length or depth of the battle system if you're really interested in fighting more difficult stuff or testing your limits. So when you complete a uh, certain challenge, basically there's like one specific fight that you have to do. And when you do it, when you win, you get, um, I forget what they call it, like a link ring that lets, story-wise, they're just like, oh yeah, now Shulk and Fiora can tether themselves to all rest so they can go back with Rex and the crew into that world and become tethered as blades and you can use them um, in the rest of the game. So that's pretty cool. It was neat to see them as a cameo. And I actually think that their character designs uh, as represented in Xenoblade 2 look really good. I, I don't like a lot of the character designs in Xenoblade 2. Well, a lot is kind of uh, maybe saying too much, but there are a number of character designs in Xenoblade 2 that I'm not as fond of, and I think that the art style has something to do with that, but for some reason Shulk and Fiora translate very well to the Xenoblade 2 art style. So, uh, let's see. So Shulk is an attacker blade, and he has the Monado, so if you use him, tether him to well, I guess tether him to anybody, right? Um, that person gets the Monado as their weapon, which is kind of cool to see, and his attacks are based off of Shulk's attacks in his original game, so you've got like backslash and uh, one of them's Monado Shield, which functions a little bit differently. It's just like uh, you activate it and then you'll block a bunch of attacks instead of like shielding your party. Um, and then all of his special link attacks are variants of things that he does in Xenoblade Chronicles One. And my favorite is, of course, like the Tier Four maximum level ability where he says, "This is the Monado's power," and does all his stuff. <laughs> it's a uh, it's is a great reference, um, and I think, and they got the original voice actors too, which is oh cool. good, yeah. And then Fiora is a healer blade, and she uses her her twin daggers, and uh, she's wind element. Shulk is light element, and uh, I had tethered her to Nia because I use Nia as my healer, 
And she's also got throwback attacks to um, Xenoblade Chronicles 1, like Butterfly Step and everything. So it was just kind of neat, I think, uh, in terms of like how they introduced them into the game, the whole, oh, they're, they're crossing over dimensions and meeting in the space in between, like that's so done to death, but it works, you know, if it's just kind of like a cameo thing, at least they tried to contextualize it a little bit. So they're both very fun blades. Oh, and a nice bonus is if you put them in your party and you enable a setting in the menu, you can actually have the boss music from Xenoblade Chronicles 1 play whenever you're fighting an enemy. Uh, in... So the, the the boss music or the unique monster music? Oh, I think it's I think it's the unique monster music whenever you're fighting a unique monster. Good, yeah. that's better. I mean, I like the boss music too, but come on. Yeah. You, you will know our names mm -hmm. in the same game with you will recall our names. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's a really neat bonus. And then they added in Elma from Xenoblade Chronicles X yesterday. And I uh, did that fight today as well. And that one's actually a challenge. You fight against her. And she thinks, like, there's a little story lead in. And she basically thinks that she's in a battle simulation. And she sees, like, when she comes out of a portal into the challenge area she sees all of you, like, you look like the prone from Xenoblade Chronicles X to her it's due to some, I don't know, like, interference or whatever. So she tries to fight you, and uh, she has her attacks from Xenoblade Chronicles X, like, she does Sliding Slinger, the, like, the one where she does, like, a diving slide, and she shoots her guns up and stuff. Um, it's She's very, very stylish and very, she moves fast, and all of her attacks are fluid and well-animated. And it's a pretty challenging fight. Like she does a thing where she splits into four clones of herself and um, she's level 60, which is lower than you probably would be if you beat the game, but because she splits into four and she has a ton of HP, she's quite difficult. So um, it's a really cool fight. And then once you beat that, you have the chance to add her to your party. I actually noticed there was a part where they were like, do you wish to add Elma to your party? Yes, or leave her be. And I was like, why would I leave her be? <laughs> I want to yeah, I don't know if I wonder if there's like a thing where if you reject her, then you get a weapon or no, that's not how that game works. Or is there um, a benefit to like coming back and fighting her again and such? Or I don't think so. I, I wonder even if you said leave her be, maybe it would be like, no, but we have to, but thou must take her with you. So I just got her and I haven't um, actually tried playing with her in my party yet, but it's it's cool to see. Um, another, you know, like representative from the series added into this one. And it kind of feels like they're making this into a Xenoblade Chronicles greatest hits or like a Xeno series greatest hits in terms of character representation, like a crossover type thing. Oh, That'd be and awesome, nice. but Sorry, they're missing a game. They are the game. The best the which, game. Which one? Sorry, is that? Xenogears. <laughs> which I understand why for, you know, because uh, they don't own it, but. Yeah. Oh, do they know? Not, oh, I didn't realize that. It's it's it belongs to Square, so yeah. they can't That's unless why they're they changing the name. Deal. Which to say, Square, make a deal. With know, them. Come on! Don't you love how? Uh, did you also look at that article that came up a couple of days ago? And did your heart skip a beat when you saw Xenogears remastered mm. music app coming to PlayStation Plus in Japan? Yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? Why would you? I do was this like. Thing? They're doing all this cool stuff. They they remastered the soundtrack. Now it's on. They have a selection on vinyl now coming out, and now this app. And I'm like, this is all cool and shit. And you know, it's great for the anniversary. But don't toy with our hearts like this, unless you're just building up to yes, we're remastering it or remaking it yeah. or some something like that. I feel like they've got to at this point because 
I mean, the game isn't, it's not like impossible to get a hold of because you can get it on a PS3 or a Vita with the, uh, the PSN, but like, you know, it's it's a PS1 game and it would be really nice to see at least just like an upscaled version on, on PS4 with like sharper text. And I don't want like the crappy smooth over visual filter like Chrono Trigger was originally when it released in FF5.6, etc. But I don't know. I feel like they could stand to... It would be nice also if they would touch up the localization or something, which I know was a big undertaking. But um, yeah, I think we're just... We're overdue for something new with Xenogears and they keep putting all of their attention and, and focus onto these projects that are music related. And that's wonderful. But this is now what, like the third music announcement that we've had. And that's all they've done to celebrate the anniversary. We had the revival disc, we had the concert series, and then oh, actually they, the fourth, I guess, the vinyl, and then the app. They also have, are, are releasing figures of Faye, Ellie, and uh, Weltall. Oh, right. Yeah. Which I mean, look, and that's, look that's really cool. nice and I want them, but. Mm. Yeah. Well, oh, go ahead, Greg. Oh, I was going to say, but you want to play with them on modern consoles, at least, or hopefully they don't go to the direction of every like popular thing from the past into like the whole app gacha game kind of mechanic. Sure. Yeah, no, thank you. They did put Faye and Ellie into Final Fantasy Brave Exvius in Japan. Oh, right. Yeah. And they're yeah. supposed to be bringing that out here at some point. But um, the U.S. version of Brave Exvius is like six months behind the Japanese or something, or maybe more. It um, seems like they're trying to build relevance for something then. Right. Like they keep referencing it. So you would think that they're trying to get it maybe back in the public consciousness and then we'll get to see more of it at some point. To see how it resonates with people, perhaps. Yeah. Who still remembers? Um, speaking to that whole gacha aspect, I do like that the DLC just gives them to you, though. It's not like you download the DLC and it's a random draw. Maybe Shulk will call, show up. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, so far, I think all of the blades that you can get through DLC have been added as like you do a quest and you either get the core crystal and you can choose who to bond it with 100% chance or they just join you as part of the quest, like Shulk and Elma and Fiora. So. Oh, I was going to say, Caitlin, we were talking before the show about uh, if they were to add a Xenogears character to Xenoblade mm -hmm. Chronicles 2, who would you pick? I would totes pick Emeralda. Best choice. Because mm -hmm. I was thinking about it and I was originally like, oh, yeah, I guess I'd probably add Faye because he's the most iconic representative. But when you said Emeralda, I was like, oh, no, yeah, that's by far the best choice. Because she feels the most blade-y. Like she's... Yeah. She's kind of inhuman and she can like transform her body. And I just, I feel like they could do so much in terms of um, like all of her special moves could utilize her different attacks from the original game. Plus she's cool. She's my girl. I love her and I'm biased, but I do think I agree. She would be mechanic wise. She would be really cool looking as opposed to most of the rest of the the party and from Xenogears. Yeah. I mean, Faye would be cool too, but like she would be a super, super cool. I mm -hmm. think. And uh, I was just going to say a final note about this DLC stuff is <laughs> when you get Elma to join your party, you do get a bit of uh, story after the fact. Like there are some cutscenes after you fight her and she's like, what am I doing here? I thought this was a battle simulation, blah, blah, blah. And the NPC who runs the challenge arena is the Nopon Archsage. And he is kind of like a quirky little Nopon guy. And he's very, it's very transparent, the writing uh, that all of this is intended to just be fan service because they're like, he talks about, oh, yes, I was posting about, you know, everybody posts that they want to see Shulk and Elma in the same place on the Argentum Trade Guild message board. <laughs> oh, wow. Like, it's dream of all people across the world. And then Nia's like, who do you mean 
when you say all people across the world, like, what are you talking about? So it's it's breaking the fourth wall and, and very clearly uh, establishing itself as just being pure fan service. So, <laughs> and I mean, do you do you get um, you mentioned you could toggle uh, you will know our names with, with Shulk and Fiora. Do you get the same toggle with uh, with Elma for Unbreakable? Yes, you do. And yes. um, it's whoever you're controlling with your main character will take precedence. Like if you have Shulk, Fiora and Elma in your party, whoever mm -hmm. your main character is bonded to at the moment or linked to whatever at the moment will have precedence. Otherwise, if like the main, if you have say Shulkfjord and Elma all on Rex, then it'll just randomly choose one of the two. Um, but so you can kind of like, you can force it to play whatever song you want to, um, and That's you can nice. even turn it on and off in the menu if you don't want it to ever change the music. You can just turn that off altogether. So, yeah, I think that's a really neat uh, like additional feature that they did not have to add in any way. And also fighting against Elma with uncontrollable playing in the background got me really hyped up because I was like, oh my yeah. God, this song is so good. One of the best I'm guessing the models are a lot nicer too coming into the Switch. Mm -hmm. So it's nice to see a, a much crisper looking Shulk and such. Yeah, they look really good actually. I, I wasn't sure that they would translate as well into the art style, but I think Shulk, Elma, and Fiora all look great and like mesh really well with the world. They don't look super out of place or anything. So that's important. Yeah. So it's a, you know, uh, I didn't really expect much of anything out of the DLC packs, but I had a decent time running through those fights. And uh, they've also added a ton of costumes for all of the characters that you can earn through doing the challenge arena stuff. So to me, that's kind of fodder for New Game Plus because I, I guess I have this thing with RPGs in particular. I, like me being able to have a new costume on a character is almost enough of a reason to do a complete new playthrough of a game sometimes. Like, I don't know what it is. I love character costumes and RPGs, and I love being able to customize my appearance, like, to a degree. Not, not like, custom character creator, give myself a purple face and, like, a giant, uh, you know, triple-sized beehive haircut or whatever. But, like, if, if it's a game that just has multiple costumes and some of the costumes are only unlocked after beating the game or by going through a lot of hoops to get them, um, I don't know, This that kind of, like refreshes my experience to a degree and makes it feel like it's special again, which is silly, I guess. But um, so I like the idea of unlocking all these costumes and then of the blades like Shulk, Fiora, and Elma. And once I get all of those, I could see myself doing a new game plus and maybe trying it again at some point down the line. Mostly I think Wind Waker. Sorry, what? Oh, I was just going to say mostly because I, I have like 117 hours on my Xenoblade 2 save file, and yet I haven't played it in so long that I've forgotten how to play the damn game. So... Are there um, are there any? I have to ask. Are there any costumes for Pyra that make her boobs stand out less? I don't know. I haven't looked at all of them yet. Um, I know a couple of them are just different color schemes, but they added swimsuits in this update because, of uh, course, they did. And uh, which at least Tor she has a one piece, I think. Does she? Yeah. Yeah. Torres like is like uh, a snorkel and goggles, and then like a little Pyra crop top. Okay, that's cute. I'm I'm kind of okay with that because it's stupid. Just like Tora, yeah. Yeah, just like Tora. <laughs> <laughs> Get wrecked. Greg, you were going to say something about Wind Waker? Yeah, it has my heart when it comes to costume changes because I just love the fact that you can do the second part of the, the like your new costume game with his like little crayfish blue long sleeve shirt thing. And yeah. it just fills my heart with joy. And no, I think of like any other game has captured my attention with a costume as much as that one. Mm -hmm. It's a, it is a cute look too. Is that right? I want like, that shirt in real life. 
Oh, I'm sure it exists. Yes. Unrelated, I guess. But uh, do you think that's... Is that a costume in Smash? Is, has it already been? Has Tunic and... I don't think so. I think they just do the whole Four Swords color scheme thing for Tune Link. And then okay. plus the, the little chibi-looking Dark Link that's adorable and evil. Yeah, he's evil. I could totally see them adding that to Ultimate. That would be really rad if they did. And uh, I know who my main's going to be. Mm-hmm. Lobster so shirt, sleepyhead Link. That's just who you strive to be, IRL. <laughs> yes, actually. Uh, oh. Given this morning's late to start. <laughs> oh, I didn't yeah, even mean I, it like he's that. My, he's my spear animal right now. Oh. I channel I that think... opening scene where he looks half dead and his sister's I was gonna like, say, are you even awake? Like half an eye open. Yeah. Uh, his expressions. Anyhow, we yeah, can go off good. on a whole tangent on that. Oh, we sure uh, what else are we talking about, though? Well, um, so, yeah, that's pretty much all I was going to say about Xenoblade 2. I am actually looking forward to the Torna expansion next month. I, you know, I've... Oh, there's more. Yeah, I've talked about my thoughts about Xenoblade, and I know that Caitlin, um, Caitlin and I differ um, in our perspectives on Xenoblade Chronicles 2. I, I do think that um, the Torna DLC looks like it has the potential to be like tonally more within the realm of my interest. It looks like it could be more mature or more interesting or maybe even darker or I don't know. Um, but I think that the character designs in particular for the Torna expansion pack, I like so much better than most of the main characters. Like I love Morag so much. Mm-hmm. She's far and away my favorite character design in the base game for um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. But, you know, I think I like Nia as a character. Her design's all right. I'm not super fond of Rex, and I don't like uh, Tora at all. So the the prospect of being able to play as Laura, who is a very cool character design, in my opinion, who's went underused because, you know, throughout the entirety of Xenoblade 2, she's, um, she's in the a fridge. plot device. Yeah. Quite literally. <laughs> literally. Yeah, she's a plot device. And then we get to finally see what Adam looks like, the, the hero who appears in flashbacks wearing, like, his, his Organization 13 hoodie. It's <laughs> really cool. Yeah, right? So Laura and Adam look really cool. And then there's, um, what's the new guy's name? Hugo, I think? Yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and then we get to actually see Hayes and use her. So, um, yeah, I, I really like the designs in Torna. And I'm hoping that because, like, the nature of the, the backstory that we're going to be getting into, we know it's going to be probably, <laughs> there's not going to be a very happy ending. No. So I'm hoping that the story is a little bit more mature or, like, doesn't descend so much into the leery anime stuff that the main game of Xenoblade 2 does sometimes. So I don't know. I just feel like the game is best when it's actually being serious. And sometimes it feels afraid to take itself seriously. So I hope that Torna takes itself a little bit more seriously. And uh, I'm, I'm quite excited to delve into it and see what it, what it does to like change up my experience. So that is going to be out September, gosh, I want to say like 20-something? 14th, I think. 14th? Okay, yeah, so mid-September, which is not too far away. So looking forward to it. Um, The other thing that I've been playing, because this is all about me, 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 is uh, I booted up my Switch and wanted to hop into uh, some of the demo for Valkyria Chronicles 4. That comes out very soon as well. That Now, isn't that like the 20-something of September? (laughs) Uh, I want to say 25th. Okay, that sounds right. 20, 25th, 26th or something like that. That's right uh, at the end. Yeah, so Valkyria Chronicles 4 had a demo come out. Uh, when was it? Last week? Or was it earlier than that? I can't recall. But 
It is one of those fantastic demos that allows you to play the opening stages of the game and then load your save data to transfer something over to the main game. It's not clear to me if you can just directly pick up from your save in terms of story or if it's just the bonus of the accessory that they grant you after having clear data. But either way, I wanted to see what Valkyria Chronicles 4 was going to be like because, as we know, Valkyria Revolution happened, unfortunately, and the series has kind of... It, you know, it took a turn for the worse. Well, what it really did was vanish for a time because we got Valkyria Chronicles 1 and then 2 here. 2 was on the PSP. 3, also a PSP game, never came out in North America. So it kind of seemed like the series was dead in the water for us. And then Valkyria Revolution was announced and we were kind of excited to see the series come back. But it turned out that it was like a bland action RPG that um, nobody really cared for all that much. And... Uh, it was nice to see with the announcement of Valkyria Chronicles 4 that the series was going back to its roots, more or less. Going back to being a story of wartime, um, maybe a little bit more uh, grounded in tone than something like Valkyria Revolution. As At least that's what it looked like from the beginning. And, you know, the music uh, is by Hitoshi Sakimoto again. And Yasunori Mitsuda did the music for Revolution, which is great, but Sakimoto's kind of got, like, that distinct series sound. So, you know, all signs were pointing to Valkyria Chronicles 4 being fantastic. So I wanted to try it out for myself before release and see what it's going to be like. I am slated to review it as well for RPG fans, so I'm sure I'll have more thoughts on this in the future. But I did download the demo and I played through all of it. It gives you three missions, like a tutorial and two full missions. And it's just, as far as I can tell, it's just the opening stages of the game. Like there's nothing removed or limited in it. I um, beat I beat the demo. Each each mission is probably like anywhere from twenty to forty five minutes or so. So it's like fairly beefy for a demo, and you get to play around with one of the new or the new class, the Grenadier, which is like a character who has a uh, mortar that they set up and they they move around and they become like a stationary turret, more or less. Please and tell me it's the Shibu Inu. Uh, he is in the game, but he's not in the demo. Ah. So I was unfortunately unable to meet Ragnarok for myself, but he looks adorable. Opportunity. I know. The Shiba Inu would get people to buy the game. I'm sorry. True. Yeah. <laughs> Running around mortaring everybody. But anyhow, sorry, the grenade class that is not the dog. No, I think he's supposed to be like a medic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so cute. Um, yeah, so the, it was interesting to play around with the new class, and I excuse me, I appreciated how like, one of the mechanics in Valkyria is if you have a unit within range of another unit, they will provide cover fire. And because the mortar characters have such an intensely long range, you can kind of set them up and have them be... Um, like, as long as another character can see an enemy besides the mortar, the mortar will automatically aim and try to shoot at the enemy who's in oh, there. Oh, they can be a spotter. Basically, yeah. Very so, cool. So you can set... Like, I always felt like scouts were kind of underpowered in Valkyria Chronicles because they have less firepower than everybody else and their main advantage is that they can move farther. So in this one, it's kind of like you can set up a mortar within a certain range of an enemy and then like send out a scout and have them basically act as like the sight line for your mortar and have your mortar do the actual damage while the scout just helps them target. So yeah, I think it adds an interesting wrinkle to combat. Um, this entire discussion, I didn't preface with any kind of information about what kind of game Valkyria Chronicles is. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably aware it's a strategy RPG. Um, basically, like, 
you know, wartime, you move your characters around in semi real time, and then you execute an attack and it's kind of turn-based when you do your attacks and everything. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to share brief thoughts on the demo. I thought the demo was pretty good. It does feel very much like classic Valkyria. Um, the only two things that I would bring up would be number one, I'm playing it on the Switch and I actually find that it runs really well. I okay. wasn't I wasn't sure if it was going to perform, you know, as well as like the PS4 version, given the, the lower specs of the Nintendo Switch, but because Valkyria Chronicles 1 was on the PS3 and that ran just fine, I think that the Switch has pretty comparable specs. So uh, I didn't really experience any issues. I got a little bit of slowdown in handheld mode when I had a lot of stuff happening on the screen one time, but it was pretty brief and it, like I'm very picky about slowdown and I get mad at frame drops pretty easily, but it was so brief that I didn't really have a problem with it and I haven't had any problems with it docked. So unless there's an issue later in the game with you know, battles ramping up, getting more intense, and then the system not being able to handle it. I would say that the Switch version is like, the the differences are negligible. I looked at a comparison video between PS4 and Switch and I could barely tell a difference. So if you're concerned about performance, it seems like the Switch version um, won't sacrifice anything. And if you're keen on getting it for that so you can play it on the go, I would say you're safe to do that. Um, the other thing that I was gonna say is that some concerns have been raised, and I will echo those concerns about the quality of the script in Valkyria Chronicles 4. Now, I wouldn't say that the writing is like abysmal or that the localization is terrible necessarily. It's just that the, I would, I mean, like the problem would lie in the Japanese original script, and that's that the game feels a little bit more juvenile to me than Valkyria 1 did. Like it feels very much steeped in more modern anime tropes than the first Valkyria did, which was a little bit more like grounded and kind of somber and melancholy. And I think that they were able to balance things like the, the pastel anime visuals and um, some of the lighter character moments with the horrors of war. And that's not to say that Valkyria Chronicles 4 won't do that, but in the opening stages, you have a little bit of like typical anime banter, like one of the dudes says, and this is, I don't actually miss, I don't think that I misinterpret this as like something worse than it is, but one of the main guys who's supposed to be your like brash assault gunner dude um, is telling somebody basically to like man up. And he's like, come on, man, even girls have bigger balls these days. And it's, I don't think that that's like saying anything more than it is necessarily. It's not some insidious, mean, messed up joke, but I just felt like, Okay, cool. So we went from characters who were like middle age, not middle age, like young adults, because the characters in Valkyria 4 are like early 20s, like 20, 21, 22. And I want to say that the characters in Valkyria 1 were a little bit older than that, like maybe mid 20s, late 20s. I could be wrong. But I guess the, the overall tone of the script and like the banter between the characters feels more juvenile or less sophisticated or like, I don't know, it's just not as well written. It's kind of hard to explain. Can there be hope that perhaps that this offers an opportunity for growth with the characters? Yeah, I'm sure it could. Um, I just am not super impressed by, I guess the characterization isn't really doing a ton for me for some of the characters. And then for others, uh, there, there was like a couple of implausible moments that happened to me or that happened in the demo that it made me go like, huh, seriously. For example, um, the main character has the ability to sense the wind, like changes in the wind, and it seems kind of supernatural. And Valkyria has always had some supernatural elements, like the Valkyria themselves have basically like magic powers. But um, it's not 
clear whether or not they intend for the main character's ability to sense the wind to be supernatural or if it's just like something you're supposed to take with a grain of salt. And also there's a part where they are trying to basically like their comm signals are jammed and they're on this mission in this town and they're trying to signal to the grenadiers outside of town where to aim their grenades to shoot at these enemy um, tanks. And because you can't speak over comms, the main character devises a strategy and he's like, oh, I know. I see these panels on each of these water towers that have numbers on them. We'll just change the numbers on the panels to signal something so that they, the people outside of the town range can see it and know where to aim. Which, okay, if there's like some shared information between the Grenadier outside of town and the main character that would have significance as to what those numbers would mean, sure, but it's like, I'm, I'm doing a poor job of explaining this, but like this, each of these water towers has a three by three panel of numbers and the top row was always like seven, one, four or whatever. And there, he's like, okay, we just have to have our sniper shoot the panel that says four to turn it into five so that somebody will know to aim right here. And it's like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like you can't, you shoot a panel and it changes numbers. That's not, physically possible unless it's like there was a number panel hidden beneath it that like you know applying force with a bullet would like shift it around or something you know what i mean it's hard to explain it's like she's just shooting this wooden panel and then the number is changing on it, and that's not how reality works <laughs> like uh and then the grenadier happens to know exactly what 715 means and shoots the grenade in exactly the right place and takes out the enemy tank so it's more like Again, I don't think I'm doing the best job of explaining this because it need, you need some visual uh, and some more context to be good, I guess. Yeah, but it's it's just like it it doesn't feel plausible to me that that would communicate anything to another person. And the game is relying on this very anime sense of like, well, just just accept that this would happen and that the strategy works when in reality it wouldn't. And I I guess this, what I'm trying to get at is that Valkyria One felt more grounded than this does so far, but it is very early. So I just want to keep an eye on that to see if the game continues to abuse these kind of like... Um, suspend your disbelief. Yeah, exactly. If the game expects me to keep suspending my disbelief for these kinds of tactical actions or if it will ground itself or reveal itself to have some kind of supernatural element that would make those things possible. Yeah, exactly. they at least just said like, oh, it's like the longitude and latitude. They'll get it, you know, or something like that even. It's yeah. Like, well, okay, and, I'll buy that. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what I expected it to be. But their explanation after the mission was like, oh, yeah, 715, July 15th. It's a special date to both of us. But how does a date tell you where to aim your grenade? We had a picnic there. It was really nice. Yeah, I don't know. It was odd. So uh, the demo is... It's, it feels very much like Valkyrie 1 in terms of gameplay, except for the addition of the new class. Um, other than that, it's like, it feels almost identical to me. So if you are a fan of the earlier Valkyria games and you just want more of the same, you're good to go here. Um, the only unknown is kind of how the narrative is going to play out. But I'm, uh, you know, moderately hopeful for it. And I'll have a review of that on the site next month sometime. So I'm sure we'll talk about it on the show then. For someone like myself who hasn't played any of them and has it sitting in their steam backlog Play it. Uh, <laughs> thank you i will take that and work with it but also will this demo spoil anything for players like me who want to experience a bit of valkyria but don't want to ruin the overarching story no because this one takes place concurrently with valkyria chronicles one it's a different squad of people in a different part of the same 
Oh, neat. Comment. Yeah, and so I'm actually not sure exactly how they're going to tie together, but they have referenced the events of Valkyria 1, but it's more like it's it's early game stuff because they are taking place at the same time. So they've been like, oh, yeah, we heard that Gallia was just invaded. And they're like, oh, no, I wonder how they're faring over there. And then if you played Valkyria 1, you know how they're faring over there. So that's all. Well, it sounds like uh, sounds like DLC potential for having crossover content and such for fan service. They've actually already announced that, yeah, that there's a DLC thing to have the characters from Valkyria 1 join your squad. Yeah, yes. Yep. So Better they, include Vice and Ica. Oh, God, I hope so. They're part of your squad. Yeah, I feel like it's just the main, the core cast or whatever, yeah. like Largo, Rosie, Alicia. But that would be nice. I won't say no to Rosie. I love Rosie. Yeah. So, yes, that's a, an astute observation, Greg. They've already taken that into account. So be interesting to see how that plays out figures yeah well greg i want to move on and i want to get your opinion on a game that you've been playing that none of us have because it just came out yesterday and uh you've been on it for review so tell me about yasuhiro wada's new game little dragons cafe little dragons cafe is a a delight in spite of all that it's got going on that it kind of gets two and a half measures as i've said Uh, my review will probably drop tomorrow if we stick to schedule uh but i've spent the better part of the last week just uh making lots of food exploring a little island and growing a dragon which is really neat and satisfying (laughs) as one might imagine it's uh it's got a lot of charm uh what attracted me to the game initially was just how pretty the the presentation of it is like with the storybook kind of pencil crayon drawn backgrounds and uh, the character models uh, all have that texture on them as well, which gives them a, a very uh, tactile kind of look. Mm. And then the dragon itself is just very endearing in a lot of the early videos and such players saw to what they've also shown of it growing up and such and being able to fly around on the back of a dragon uh, is something that uh, um, games don't get to do very often outside of like Skyrim DLC or that dragon guard game that everyone did not like i think that was the one right <laughs> which one i guess all of them people didn't like so much dragon guard 3 was uh you know that's good it's all right it's pretty good the story made up for any wonkiness dragon guard 1 was pretty pretty bad gameplay wise though anyway that's what i heard which is disappointing this is, this is nothing like that game this is a cutesy simulation <laughs> game by the creator of harvest moon yeah, and it definitely you can see the Harvest Moon roots uh, quite plainly. But again, it, it uh, what they brought in from that is a very light version. So uh, before getting all to that, you've got these two twins, Rin and Ren. You can choose between either of them to play. So you have the option of being the boy or the girl. Uh, and then you go through all the tutorial lead up of uh, this whole 11 chapter with and uh, prologue story. The prologue introduces all the basic concepts and players can very easily get a grasp on everything. And it's clear out the gate that the tone is set to people younger than ourselves, which is great, which is why I wanted to get my hands on it so that my daughter could give it a shot as well. Uh, she's been playing it uh, as well and has enjoyed being able to run around with her own little dragon and come to me with like discoveries of just like, oh, I was able to do this or every time she's seen me even further ahead and saying like, oh, you have this dragon now or it's grown up or you can do this and oh, it's very exciting. So I like that aspect of it that uh, it is something that she'll be able to dive into and thoroughly enjoy. But uh, the game itself, 
uh, as well as it presents, you can definitely see the flaws in it. Um, graphically, I notice at the gate, um, like the draw distance and such is very short. So you'll be like walking along and then things will just pop up uh, as they, the assets kind of get rendered in. If you know what I mean, so yeah. you're walking along, and all of a sudden it'll be like, "Oh, it's a nice, it's a completely wide open plain," and then poop, there's grass, poop, there's bushes, oh, there's a tree. Yeah, and, I think oh, we saw that in like trailers too, and I was worried about that. So I guess that that's something that stuck around. Exactly, and it was worrying to me too. I was hoping that was going to be just an early build sort of situation, but it just seems like the the game struggles to process that stuff in however they've built the framework. So it makes the game look very. Uh, like PS2 era kind of dated, with, but handled with less smoothness. Because even then they had tricks back in the day of even just using the whole, um, you know, draw distance fog kind of thing to hide that stuff and let things more smoothly come into play. Whereas I know they want to have their big, nice sweeping vistas of the of the this quirky little island of amazing, but it, it kind of works against it. And especially with... Um, the textures themselves look great in the cafe and on the characters, but I find in the world, they're so small. So you get a lot of that texture repetition, if you know what I mean. Okay. So you can very much see the pattern of the field, for example, and it just show and it just looks very samey because the pattern is so small. Do you know okay. that? Yeah, no, I know what you mean. Because yeah. I was kind of concerned about some of that, just seeing the uh, pre-release materials, like the, I don't know, something about the, the environmental design seemed a little bit budget to me or like yes exactly not super handcrafted kind of thing so yeah it's it's clear they had like an aesthetic they wanted to get to but it didn't quite translate well into this and yeah i'm wondering if there's budget and such too which comes into play with the animation as well all the character models uh of like the main core cast are really nicely designed i like the quirky characters they've built and all of their facial animations are very expressive and exciting uh, in a very um, Saturday morning cartoon anime kind of way. But their physical animations are limited to like one or two gestures. Um, you know, the, the characters will stay fixed as they like rotate on the spot. Uh, there's a lot of corners that they cut, like, you know, like uh, you'll, they have like an animation for them eating their food, but, Oh, when someone asks for a drink, the screen will black out. You'll hear the anim- you'll hear them drink, and okay. then it'll go to the, the frame afterwards of them being like, "Ah, that was good." So they do a lot of weird corner cutting to get around certain story beats that they just either didn't have the budget or the time or whatever in the engine to animate these more fluid scenes. Because it, I think it's because it's in the in-game engine. So while it looks nice and meshes with everything, it uh, it, ham- it hampers their ability to storytell more fluidly. Yeah, that makes sense. I wonder what the reason is for that, if it really was just budget, or like they figured that those kinds of, like providing those kinds of animations wasn't integral to the quality of the experience, or what? Like... Because the idea, I guess, would be if they were going to cut corners with animations there, then they would spend their resources, energy, effort, whatever, elsewhere. And do you feel like there's a particular area in the game that they've poured extra effort into? Not terribly. Um, I feel like the visuals was definitely their biggest thing to to draw people in. So that was a big focus for them. But the, and the, but like yeah, so- in motion, yeah, if the style is one thing, but like if it doesn't 
look as good in motion, I wonder what the purpose was of spending so much energy making a specific art direction, you know? Yeah, like it's the the player character themselves interacting with the environment, like all gets decent movement and the dragon is well animated because it's rather crucial they get that right. But there's a lot of even with that exploring the environments, there's a lot of jankiness in terms of both how the world itself functions and how a player interacts with them. So, for example, you're you'll get to your uh, your really basic running around, jumping over small obstacles and every once in a while you know, the character will get stuck on a weird one and just kind of float there for a second until you kind of shift them over and they land back and then you try jumping again. Um, the dragon itself will, you know, some alleges it will jump down off of other ones. It won't when it's following after you and you're kind of trying to call it over to send it into a cave and you're waiting and waiting and waiting while it finds its own path that apparently is longer than yours to get mm-hmm. there. Uh, stuff like that or you know and it's easy where there's clipping where like the head will go into a wall or something like that depending on how you've parked your dragon but that stuff's a bit more tricky to work around Mm. but the other stuff that really showed to me too is um like shadows would like shudder you know what i'm talking about where like where where the 3d something isn't quite working right with the lighting engine in a spot and you'll be walking you'll just see this like shuddery shadow on a wall that you're that was just bizarre and the frame for it really takes a dip on um, lighting changes sometimes in in uh, some of the more advanced areas past like the initial kind of open planes. So um, stuff like that really starts to show uh, the the cracks. Yeah, and but, it's not even like it's the fault of the system because you're playing on Switch, right? Uh, no, I'm playing on PS4. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I was going to wow. say because you look at something like that and, you, and it's it's not that I was going to say it's not that the Switch can't do it because you have Dragon Quest Builders on the Switch which has kind of a similar aesthetic to its world but the that game runs just fine and everything is very smooth and polished and well animated whereas this game wow the fact that you're playing it on PS4 and it's having that much difficulty is not the best sign. Yeah, and it's unfortunate because there's a lot to offer when with everything that they've jam packed into this with um, you know their fun little cooking mini game and little light aspects of gathering ingredients and such like that and combining them with these recipes that you find and you know all the character interactions of these plucky fun Saturday morning cartoon characters. It's unfortunate that the polish isn't there on its presentation. Uh, the music in itself also doesn't really do anything outstanding, as I think I say in my review it's adequate it does its job you know mm. it, it, it sets the tone for things that happen there's you know understandably a character's feeling sad so here's the very obviously sad song that then does like a very hard transition to like oh this goofy moment that's happening so let's play this weird quirky guitar ding, 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 as characters chase each other around the cafe <laughs> you know so if it, it definitely uh it fills that in and the environments themselves as you switch between each different locale on the island has its own soundtrack during the day Uh, at night it just goes to like just calm stillness uh but during the day you get all these tracks which again are all fairly suitable there's like one that's like uh weirdly quirky but it's still it works for the areas and it's all bright pink and purples so that kind of vibe so i i found the music did the job but again it's nothing to to write home about that everyone's going to be toe tapping and wanting to listen to Right. Do you feel like the uh, the relative simplicity of the game does it seem like it's it's good, like easy for kids to follow? Like and that's it... what I kind of come to is that even though I can see all these flaws and errors, 
um, my eight-year-old will probably be a lot more forgiving as well. A lot of younger <laughs> players, they just will see, you know, the bright, fun colors of these exuberant, over-the-top characters and their adorable little dragon, and very much forgive a lot of this stuff. That being said, gamers of this generation. I find are very quick to judge graphics these days because they're growing up in an era pre uh, or sorry, post um, the super Nintendo Nintendo era. We've had to adapt and grow and seen the evolution of game graphic design. Whereas for them, there you have a new standard and a new bar. So sometimes going back can be harder, but Gwen is more forgiving. She's seen her parents play old games and loves herself some Stardew Valley. So she's very <laughs> familiar with pixel games and stuff like that. You know, she finds this game looks just as good as when I was playing uh, Moonlighter. She thought it looked really pretty as well. So, I mean, she has an appreciation. So maybe she'll notice those flaws, but she hasn't said anything as such. But I think it makes the game a lot more digestible to keep all these things simple and not have them, you know, throwing their budget at going too over the top and making it more AAA in terms of its animation and its hardware um, construction, because yeah, the audience is probably going to be a lot more forgiving who they're actually trying to target. Mm. Okay. Um, one thing I'm curious about uh, once they showed that you could fly on your dragon, how big is the world? Are the, is it just the Island itself and that's it? It is just the Island. Uh, and given how quickly time goes around, so to speak, it takes a lot of time to explore mm -hmm. since it's got the whole Harvest Moon, like every minute is like 10 minutes in game or not even whatever it is, like every 30 seconds. Either way, time ticks by pretty quick. So you can very easily fly from the, the cafe to like top of the island and hours will have passed in the game, whereas it will maybe take you a few minutes. And while it would be nice to have a bigger world to explore, given how they've set up the gameplay, it's actually good that it only takes, you know, a few minutes to get to the furthest reaches of the of the island. Because uh, uh, it's reductive, but to boil it all down, Little Dragon Cafe is Fetch Quest, the RPG. <laughs> so it's just go go fetch ingredients make a thing, go fetch more ingredients, make a thing, go fetch, go fetch, go fetch. And oh, now there's a story beat because you went to sleep, but mm -hmm. you didn't have to do anything for it. So cool. Now go back to managing the cafe and run off and get more ingredients. So you get very familiar with the world and with how to get to each little place as they open up because it's because of the dragon's growth. A lot of the areas are gate kept as you proceed. And right. so like you can't you get everywhere. To help you get into it. Exactly. So your young little dragon can't really do anything with you. So you're just relegated to the character's movements at the next stage. They can break down a few little obstacles and move things so you can jump into higher places and start exploring a few little more areas, but you're still closed off. And then once you get to fly, you can pretty much reach everywhere in the game, except for like one big area. And uh, with some careful use of the dragon's uh, stamina, which they have like two separate types of stamina for the dragon. One is just its general running around activity for the day and you feed it food and that recharges, or you can give it some love by hugging its face and petting it and stuff. Aww. And that'll recharge it a little bit too. It's very endearing, especially I was super jazzed when uh, it got to the next level where it went from, sometimes you would pet them, but other times you just full on give them a hug around their neck and it would kind of like cradle you as well. Aww. It's very sweet, right? It was very heartwarming, and uh, that sticks around for every stage after that. But with the with the flying mechanic, the dragon also has a different stamina while it's in flight, so you can only 
go so far with it and uh, it can recharge while you're gliding a bit or you've set yourself on a rock. So you just have to kind of time out your jumps and your, your little bursts of flight and you can pretty much get anywhere you need to go with a carefully worked out strategy. But any of these strategies are hampered by the game's controls as well, which also lack polish, which is super unfortunate. I found myself fighting with them a lot Whereas like I would try to be running along and then try and jump and it wouldn't quite register. I mean, it's not like an intense platform or anything, so there's no need for precision jumping, but it is frustrating. You're just like, I just want to go up the rock so I can go to the forest. Just let me jump, please. Mm. Instead of having to mash the button like five times and finally I get up and go over. Mm. And similarly, um, it happens with the flying too. Sometimes you, you'll, because the dragon does a whole, has a, uh, the physics of like where it'll dip as you're kind of flying kind of thing to get flaps in. And if you like miss one, then you'll start dipping down a little too low. And sometimes again, a button, a button input will be missed. So it feels, uh, and it kind of feels like some older games where if you're pushing one input, it might override another one. So it feels like, like just the programming's a little off there and the, the system itself just gets confused by too much input and doesn't process everything you're trying to do. And with the dragon themselves as well, everything it does, you command it to do. So like the one enemy that you can attack, you can, you have to like get close enough to it to press X uh, on the PlayStation and say, go attack it. And it might listen. It might not. If it has something else it's trying to do on its own, it might get confused and not listen to you. And then things run into you and steal your food or you have to mow grass, but everything you have to do with the dragon, you have to order it to do. There's no jumping on the dragon and just, Pressing, pressing. It. yeah, and yeah, which would have just been so nice just to be like, cool, I'm going to walk over the grass and just get to start cutting things. But it's like, no, you have to not be on it, stand beside it, go mow the grass. It walks over, mows the grass, and you go, okay, now mow this one. And it's like, but I want to pick up this fruit and give it to you. You're like, no, put down the fruit, just mow the grass. <laughs> oh, no, now this thing is going to attack me. Just go attack the thing. You're like, okay, it goes and attacks the thing. It gives off meat. The thing goes, picks up the meat. You're like, no, there's three more. Go attack them. And meanwhile, it's just, it yeah, gets no. very bogged down in tedium because of that. And again, I'm wondering if that was a corner cutting thing. They couldn't get the the framework to work on. I wonder letting you ride the dragon and let you attack and stuff. And I don't know. That sounds like it would drive me effing crazy. And I know that you were saying that this is more directed towards kids probably, but um, I don't know to, to a point you were making earlier about how a kid might be more forgiving or, or rather how people are, having increasingly high standards for graphical quality uh, because of our generation. For me, it's like, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm 31, so I am not super old or anything, but I grew up playing Nintendo, Super Nintendo, et cetera. And it's not like I have standards that games need to look triple a, it's more like it's a, it's a technical thing, like a polish thing because there, yeah. there are some games that, um, you know, I still, I love pixel art games, period. Like I love retro style graphics still. So it's not a matter of fidelity. It's a matter of like, does this character model look janky and does it like clip with the environment or is there weird pop in or is there slowdown? Like that's the kind of stuff that gets to me. So when you say things like the game has technical issues where it doesn't quite register your inputs and stuff like that all to me doesn't feel like uh, low budget. It just feels like sloppy, bad programming. <laughs> Exactly. And that's what kind of comes through uh, that it just seems there was a little bit too many, a little too many corners that were cut in the development process as much as they tried to make a really nice game to present to a new generation of gamers. There's just a lot that, that 
left to be desired. And I hope that um, they can take this framework and build something better with it because all that being said, there is still a really nice charm to the game that keeps you coming back for more, I found. Uh, I definitely would have set it aside for longer bursts if I wasn't trying to plow through it for review because the 11 chapters and the repetitive formula of meet guest, go through sleep, get an event, sleep, get an event, sleep, get an event, make them a dish, cure their happiness or find their happiness. And then they go on and then you raise your restaurant's reputation to do the next chapter. Mm-hmm. It gets very repetitive, but um, oddly enough in those simplified stories, which I cover in my review, there's a, there's an odd charm because the one thing that the game does really well is it presents all of its NPC characters that come into the cafe uh, and that you are ultimately going to help throughout the story as very like obvious tropes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Poncho is this young little warrior boy who comes in with an upset tummy and everyone's like, what's up? And he's like, Oh, I'm just, I'm stressed. So I get stomach and you feed them and he tells them their whole story about he's a warrior and his mom's not doing well, but he wants to be a brave warrior, like his idol. And, uh, wants to protect his town and, you know, but he, he doesn't quite feel brave enough and yada, yada, yada. So it's, you, we've seen this kind of character before, or, or like the young girl whose uh, mother passed away. So she's grieving, but at the same time, her dad's never been around until her mom passed away and she's very angry at him. So with all of her sadness, there's a lot of anger. Again, we've seen those characters in anime and cartoons before, but the game does a good job of kind of calling out those tropes so to speak, because you get this cafe, you get your staff and the staff all come together to help these people work through their problems in very healthy uh, ways. So it kind of gets these characters to open up like, Hey, maybe you should stop lying to yourself about, you know, trying to put on this, these airs, like you're this big, brave, amazing warrior and just be okay that you're not the best warrior, but you're doing the best you can, you know? and kind of get rid of the toxic behavior and turn it into something that's more accepting of your limitations. Mm-hmm. And so I thought stuff like that was nice and surprisingly depth um, doing a, not a great job of recalling it, but they do a lot of, uh, of tearing down of unhealthy behavior in each of these very tropey characters and then helping them to recognize that it's okay to be as they are, or they don't need to be so obtuse or whatever to see things with a better point of view and live their lives more positively. That's good that there's a nice message behind some of the game. Uh, See, this is a point that I was going to make is that um, this perhaps carries a little bit more of a caustic edge than it should. And I don't mean this to be, you know, awful or anything, but you know, the creator of Harvest Moon, it's Yasuhiro Wada, I believe is his name. He proved that he had a good proof of concept for a video game in Harvest Moon because the idea of a farming game back in the Super Nintendo era was like, okay, I, I don't think that it was met with a lot of enthusiasm because it was like, how is that going to be fun? So Harvest Moon came out and it proved itself to be a winning formula. And the, the idea has evolved over the years and then eventually culminated in something like Stardew Valley, which arguably is even better than the Harvest Moon games, like Story of Seasons that are currently out now. Yeah. And, um, you know, when Yasuhiro Wada first moved on to doing a new type of game, there was Hometown Story, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I'm pretty sure that he pioneered that concept. And Hometown Story was not well-received. And in fact, I, most people haven't even heard of it because it was just another game along the lines of Little Dragon's Cafe that was very, very unpolished and uh, 
just didn't really have any substance to it. And so it seems like Little Dragon's Cafe is falling into kind of the same pitfall. And this isn't me yeah. trying to be very disparaging, uh, you know, of of the that person uh, as a creator. But it seems like maybe his talent lies more in concept than it does execution. And um, I wonder if Little Dragon's Cafe might have been better served by, you know, like a different development team creating the game because the idea is great and cute. Obviously, something like Stardew works incredibly well. So, exactly, like it, it just. You know, it, the story boiled down to me seeing it as tedious to have to do all these little things in between when all you're really doing is just progressing through a tale with nothing meaningful in between except for trying to manage the chaos of your restaurant, which clearly no one at this team has never really worked in a restaurant. Because <laughs> it, there's so many things that can make that run smoother, but I get how they're trying to keep it light, but oh, it is frustrating. And again, a video game uh, lack of polish like you'll be walking around trying to deliver a plate to a guest and like one of your npc helpers will walk into you and then shove you halfway across the restaurant and then this guest will be like my food took too long and leave and then you have to walk all the way back to the kitchen to dump the now useless food and try and pick up another plate only to probably get stuck on another npc or something uh-huh. so you know, stuff like that can get very frustrating and, and that games uh if you're trying to do the restaurant part well can definitely get very frustrating and and stressful when like 50 guests just kind of plow through your doors throughout the day and you're just trying to run around micromanaging your staff as well as making sure that you know you get to people on time with food and orders and stuff uh which captures the stress of restaurant work really well but it just didn't seem like it needs to be because it feels like i know gwen's going to get to that level of of the restaurant's busyness and really struggle so stuff like that kind of has me scratching my head at a bit where the age category is set. Um, I also mentioned in my review too, there's a character in chapter four that uses some problematic language that also has me kind of going, mm, do I want Gwen reading characters who are saying crap and damn it and pissed off and stuff like that? Oh, okay. Um, or calling, uh, have you seen any of the, the game's character art and stuff? Do you have you seen like the, I, I've seen some screenshots, but yeah, well, you have Billy, who's the first kind of NPC that joins the group. Uh, He's essentially like an elvish Kurt Cobain uh, and (laughs) wants to be a musician and rebel without a cause kind of thing. And he's a slacker. Uh, And then you get this character at Panama who loves the crap out of cafes and just wants to be the best cafe person ever. But she also uh, has this like mindless rage that she goes into and just starts flinging plates and can, and it usually is triggered by uh, Billy's laziness because they're basically uh, diametrically opposed in terms of work ethic. Uh, And then you have Lucilla who's this lovely, uh, big, uh, fabulous orc who's clearly uh, their kind of effeminate, metro gay kind of character um, who takes over being the chef, but he just prides himself on his, on his looks and on his, uh, you know, plucky attitude and stuff like that. And thinks everything's delightful, wonderful. But this character also at one point accuses him of being an effeminate pig. And I'm like, I don't know if that's wrong. Cause it was the pig was the insult towards the orc thing. And then the effeminate thing. And, but it just, it just felt problematic to, to hear mm-hmm. towards, what that character represents as far as in the community. So stuff like that kind of makes me go like, Oh, maybe it's not quite for eight year olds. I mean, Gwen should be okay. She's definitely thrown out pissed before and it's hilarious to hear. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Caught me completely off guard, but anyways. Yeah. uh, That's unusual. There's like a tonal uh, 
disconnect there. A little bit. Because, uh, yeah, everyone all of a sudden condones, like, oh, we'll swat around this character and we'll all be like, cut the crap, man. And then and then it kind of gets dropped in other chapters and then it comes back again later. Because then, like, immediately after you, there'll be, like, there'll be this cute little teeny cat um, idol character from her who, who's left her idol band, you know. And, again, everything's very cutesy and, and such again. And, oh, you're my dear little friend and I'm such a fan of your work and stuff like that. So, it's, yeah, it does a weird shift between a couple of characters like that, that makes you wonder where they're trying to aim it at. And with the very heavy messages, which I like, because as I was saying to my partner, whether you're an adult or a kid, a lot of people can benefit from the menace messages that these characters are trying to convey as they help people through their, their difficult times. Uh, It can definitely work towards reducing a lot of toxicity in the world in general. So it just seems like little dragon cafe wants to help the world not be a, a terrible place full of assholes. <laughs> but again, that polish. Right. Well, it sounds like the game, um, you know, is kind of aiming itself at an unknown audience and could stand to be more polished, but the core idea is good and the core messaging is positive. I would love there to be a little Dragon's Cafe too. And for them to refine so many of these ideas into a, a much better um, presented package. Yeah. All fingers crossed. They, uh, if they decide to progress with the formula, they take some of the lessons that they've learned from making the game into account, and it becomes a better experience overall. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we'll, we'll look forward to your review going yeah. up on the site in the next couple of days. So it'll be a little more together than all my rambling on it today. <laughs> hey, it's all good. This is free form, my friend. It's rambling encounter. Let's be real. Oh, it is rambling encounter. <laughs> Well, I would like to hear from Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin, you've been delving yeah. into the backlog a bit and playing some older games, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show. What have you been playing most recently? Uh, so I started off by finishing Persona 5, finally, because I've been awful <laughs> and I haven't finished it. Um, That's a long so, game. I know. Yeah, well, it, it was one of those things where it came out and then a bunch of other stuff came out and I got distracted and never found time to get back to it. And kept meaning to uh, so that I could say that I've beaten it. And, you know, my track record with Persona games is that it takes me about a year to beat them. And this was a little over a year. So I guess that's par for the course. Slagger. Uh, I know I'm so bad. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, and I wanted to finish it. I wanted because I especially wanted to just be done with it and be able to say, yeah, I've played 2017's Game of the Year. And was it? Did it live up to your expectations? Um, yes and no, in the sense that I wasn't expecting it to be my. It wasn't. I knew it wasn't going to be my game of the year, and it. it it's not. I'm sorry. It's not. Um, and no, in the sense that I, it's an okay game. I like it. It's not my favorite Persona game. I think it's got the best battle system and the best boss music and the best style but everything else i'm kind of like just it's okay so i i would agree with that i do think it is the best <clears throat> combat system of like out of persona 345 and well i guess the whole persona subseries has the best combat it is the most stylish it's the most polished visually but um i i would agree we've we've discussed it on the podcast before i think that it is uh i think it's a great game overall but um the writing just isn't as sharp. I don't find the story as compelling. Yeah. Like the twists and turns were either predictable or just kind of like, all right, yeah. seen it before. 
And I mean, like we've talked about the localization, and that's that's an issue too. But I actually think that it, it goes deeper than the translation. I think that there are issues so too. with the story and the writing that were that are present even in the original Japanese version. I agree. So, I'm glad I finished it. Uh, at some point, I will go probably do a speed New Game Plus playthrough so I can fight the Twin Wardens because I need. Um, I was actually surprised that. Uh, Rift in the Desert plays in more than just one boss fight, and I want more of it, so I'm gonna fight the Twin Wardens and, and jam out to Rift oh, in the Desert. I didn't know it played against them. Or it plays yeah. against them. Yeah, it plays against them when you fight them. Um, cool. So I want that. Great song. So yeah, oh, love it. Oh, the boss music is so good in the game. Mm -hmm. So I finished that. Um, that was kind of like my. They were doing like JRPG th uh, July or whatnot. So oh right. I finished it in July. So technically, even though I didn't start it in July, it was my JRPG for July. I guess it counts. Yeah. Um, and then I immediately jumped into Assassin's Creed Origins, which I had started uh, earlier in the year and uh, just uh, didn't. It once again, got distracted by other things. Probably, probably Final Fantasy XIV related. I'm, I'm sure some of it was Final Fantasy XIV. Um, no yeah, and I don't think that we talked much about or all at all about Origins. Um, but I don't remember since, talking a lot about it. Yeah, yeah. Since it is now an RPG, <laughs> it's in our coverage, and we reviewed it, and um, it's an. It's an interesting game. It's still definitely an Assassin's Creed uh, game through and through, but it's I can really appreciate uh, the changes that they've made to the formula and well, to some parts of the formula um, and to the world and the exploration. Um, I think that Bayek is a great uh, leading character. I like him a lot more than um, some other leading characters in the series. Um, he's a really he's a he's a sweet good guy who's a good father who's in a shitty situation and it's it's easy to root for him based on the circumstances that happen um early on in the game and uh, the world is big and beautiful and despite kind of going uh when they announced ancient egypt i enjoyed exploring egypt it was fun and um it's, I haven't tried it yet, but it's really cool to see that they have the the tour side of the game where you can just explore Egypt and learn things about ancient Egypt without having to worry about the story or combat or anything like that. Oh. It's a really cool thing. I hope that they do that for Odyssey. You mean um, ancient Egyptian history, like how Noctis and uh, what's-his-name appear on a mural somewhere? Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. That is the stupidest tie-in i think it probably makes more sense on the final fantasy 15 side because on the assassin's creed side it is complete and utter bogus it's, you don't like the camel chocobo that's a uh, nightmare fuel if i could kill my map much you know i probably can kill it by just attacking it once i've summoned it but i, I want to put it out of its misery it's a horrible chimera beast that shouldn't exist so <laughs> it's pretty yeah. terrifying no, the, 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 the quest is, it's a little puzzle thing you have to solve, and then you just randomly meet Arden, who just, for some random reason, appears. Wait, in, he's there? He's there. He literally appears. He comes out of, like, a force field chambery thing, and he smirks at you all sexy-like, 
And then Bahamut shows up out of nowhere and does a thing and they disappear. And what? that's it. I did not know about that. It's so bad. Okay. So yeah, that um that's that's a thing. But beyond that, the world is nice and pretty and the characters are okay. Um, the RPG mechanics that they've thrown into the game, um, they're there. I mean, you have hit points, you deal damage in hit points, you gain experience from quests, weapons have stats, you can craft equipment that improves your stats and things like that. I mean, it's, it's all there. Um, it still doesn't really feel to me like it's anything more than Assassin's Creed game that has RPG dressing on it. Like, I don't necessarily approach moving around the world or dealing with enemies in any way that I wouldn't have before before they introduced RPG elements. So it's it's kind of it's that kind of RPG and um I'm very much looking forward to seeing how they iterate on that with Odyssey. We know there's dialogue choices and they've told us that your decisions will have consequences. So mm-hmm. we'll see about that. Um you have uh, in this case, all of your equipment, including what you wear, not just your weapons, have stats. So that's a nice uh, bonus. Um, we'll see how things develop from there. I still feel it's like it's probably going to come off like a an Assassin's Creed game with RPG dressing, but we'll see. Um, and let's see, uh, Origins, what else is there to talk about? Um, uh, you said you were playing Mass Effect Andromeda? I am. Oh, or um, for Origins, you mean? For Origins. Um, the one thing I'll say about Origins is um, it's kind of interesting. It's supposed to be about the, obviously, origins of the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Um, and in some respects, it's, it is about that. But it comes so late in the story that it feels, to me, it was kind of a letdown in terms of, like, this is supposed to be about the beginning of the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And it literally comes in at the very last minute of the plot. Um, the whole story itself, I think, is problematic. I think it needed to be restructured majorly, um, the way it's presented to the player. You you start in media res with Bayek already kind of hunting people um, to get revenge for his son. And they eventually show you what happened, but it's it's all very awkward. Like you spend the whole prologue of the game not really knowing why any of this is happening. And they eventually flash back to it for you. But it would have probably worked out a little bit better if they had led with that. And the prologue was this happens and learning how to track his killers and get revenge and all that and the it's just kind of weird and then the whole game is literally a hit list of taking out all of these pseudo templars who were in get involved in this conspiracy that led to his son being killed and which is in some respects i don't know it's maybe maybe it was meant to be a a nod back to the original assassin's creed which was also literally just a game centered around a bunch of assassinations with bare bones story connecting them um, but it just, it, it ended up feeling lopsided. You spend three fourths of the game doing this and there is a plot twist that's involved that changes the game. And that's the point at which the brotherhood becomes a thing. And I just feel like if they had shifted things around, it could have been a really cool setup where the first half is all about 
getting rid of these weird conspiracy guy things. And then something happens at the midpoint and the rest of the game is about building, creating and building the brotherhood that I think would have worked better. So, Hmm. so as it stands, I mean, it's an interesting development in the series. Um, It's not the first time there have been RPG elements in an Assassin's Creed game. Syndicate had levels too, but this is very much more directly an attempt to make it into a pseudo RPG and it's a nice big open world. Um, to me, it kind of feels like the first open world Assassin's Creed, despite the fact that Black Flag was also a big, huge open ocean for you to explore. And I think part of that is just because with Black Flag, it was it was a bunch of smallish islands connected by mostly dull ocean that you got tired of traveling over uh, eventually. And Origins is landlocked and there's more interesting things to to see and do uh, when you're traveling between major cities or uh, quest markers and whatnot. So um, so to me, that kind of felt more open worldy, I guess. And I mean, it's certainly I'm like I said, I'm interested to see how they iterate on things with Odyssey um, with this this formula. So yeah. uh, we'll we'll find out uh, in a few months when that game comes out. Indeed, to, oh, sorry. I wanted to ask, Caitlin, you seemed uh, like you were hesitant to to go to Egypt. I'm just curious as to why that was a thing. Why? Why? Where that hesitation was coming from? Uh, I, I feel like let's see how to put this. I think I I think we probably a lot of us uh, people playing the games probably expected Egypt to be um, a, des- a destination at some point. I believe Assassin's Creed Three, if I'm not mistaken, hints at a couple of locations, two of which are Egypt and Greece. So they're probably following up on that. But I don't know. When I first heard Ancient Egypt, I was like, oh. So we're we're doing that. We're doing like a mummy thing and whatnot. Like it's one of those locales that I was kind of thinking it was a bit too expected maybe uh, for the series to go. And I was kind of like, uh, okay. And maybe part of that is saturation from other media dealing with Egypt and specifically ancient Egypt and whatnot. And I was kind of like, oh, okay. So we're not going to some kind of cool place that I've never seen or heard of or whatever before that's like you know i've i actually kind of would like to explore this this you know random place or whatnot it's 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 ancient egypt it just felt like you know oh ancient egypt okay yeah kind of like been there done that or yeah i mean like predictable i don't know yeah predictable like you know i don't know it's a weird qualm to have with it um yeah with ancient history (laughs) yeah um and i mean i had the same i have let's see i have the same concerns with uh with odyssey because i feel like ancient greece is another kind of predictable expected location um for the game and i mean me personally i want them to go somewhere in Asia at some point, like a main game to be, which is also, I know I'm a hypocrite. That's also totally expected and predictable, but mm. I don't know. With Odyssey, it's a bit more personal because I don't know how to feel about them giving their their take on ancient Greece since it is my heritage. Um, and we've seen, I mean, like, the same kind of issue with ancient Egypt. We've 
got a other games that deal with Greek mythology, notably God of War. So it's not like that's a an unexplored uh, part of the world. Um, whereas, I mean, like with the original Assassin's Creed, I don't, I'm not sure that I can think of many games beyond uh, stupid Call of Duty first-person shooters, maybe that I don't play, uh, that w that went to that region of the world. I, I can't really think off the top of my head of a game that takes place, uh, you know, uh, what is it, Damascus and 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 Acre and whatnot, hmm. uh, those places. So that was interesting and. Going to Italy and Rome was cool um, from a perspective of I've always wanted to go to those countries, uh, to those countries. Sorry, I've always wanted to go to Italy. Okay. Um, and and see that, and you know, the 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 Revolutionary War period in Assassin's Creed Three was in that 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 I also was not super interested in that because that's been done to death in other media and it was less about going to a place that I've never been before. Mm. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know. It's a weird qualm to have. I was just the first time I heard Ancient Egypt, I was like, oh, okay. Right, I guess you just wanted like a more unexpected or out there setting or something a little bit more. I I know this is a charged word, maybe like something more exotic or, you know, not yeah. done so much. Yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I've I had similar reactions to other games. I, uh, initially, I was kind of bored by the idea of uh, uh, Syndicate being in in London, um, mm. and that that game changed my mind about it. I love Syndicate. It's a it's one of my favorite games in the series. Um, and to a certain extent, Origins did too. It was fun to play. I liked exploring uh, Egypt. I haven't done the DLC or anything like that. Um, so there's 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 some stuff I haven't done in the game, but there's that. And I hope that Odyssey is the same way, that it will overcome my initial trepidation of the location. And what they've shown so far looks interesting enough. So I'm, I'm kind of reserving... Uh, my my concerns until we we get the the final product in our hands. Mm. Okay. So yeah, and I mean, do you think that you'll review it for the site? Uh, well, Greg and I are the ones that are currently interested, That's right. so That's right. it's going to be one of us at this point. Fight, 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 fight. <laughs> I mean, I'm totally fine deferring to Caitlin since I have never played an Assassin's Creed before beyond the first briefly. So I feel like you're. History with it will probably lend better to the review. I just selfishly want to do it because uh, a good friend of mine uh, that I've met through Annette, Michael Antonakos, is the lead character in it. So she voices kinda... Cassandra. No, no, he um, he's oh. the assassin. What's his name? Uh, Alexios. Alexios. Oh, oh, I got it wrong. Okay. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So he um, he had been working. He's been working with them for a while on various titles and such, and with this one. They just liked, because he's Greek, uh, they liked the look of him uh, for the character and such and eventually built him up into the role of taking on the role of being the title character for this game, which has been a great career shift and change for him. And I'm super pleased with the success he's having with this series now because of it. Okay. So I just selfishly wanted to review that just to be like, I'm playing my friend, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> But that was about you it. Can, you, can, you can do really bad things like get him killed and you can be like, Hey, look at this dude, or something like that, or get into awkward situations and be like, Sorry. basically. Well, we've had enough of his our friends and such to also be commenting on how like this new assassin's basically just gonna be a homewrecker because he's so handsome. Mm -hmm. and so, mm -hmm. 
Uh, you can romance people in this one. Exactly. So uh, it was funny because he was posting a picture not too long ago. They were in the studio doing some more recording. So it's either for additional stuff or DLC. Who knows? And he was just saying he's doing stuff as, as Alexio. So I was like more like a sexios. You are right. right. (laughs) He was quite pleased. Uh, Even if Caitlin does take the the reins on it and review it, uh, I would like to see if Michael wants to come on the podcast or something sometime just to talk about his experience and such too. So it could be just as worthwhile to bring that to our fans. Yeah, that'd be super cool. Yeah, you don't really (laughs) get down. Yeah, we've had a few interviews with voice actors, but they've always been um, text interviews. I don't think we've ever had anyone on the podcast before. Yeah. Yeah, Neil had reviewed or not reviewed, interviewed um, uh, Xanthi. I, I forget, like I forget how to pronounce her name. Xanthi Hun, the voice actor who did Haru in Persona Five. Um, oh, he did. Oh, like, uh, I think he did a text interview with her. So, mm-hmm. so uh, knowing that he has a full setup at home because that's what voice actors do, uh, I'm sure he could be down to teleconference in from Toronto or, or who knows, maybe he'll be in town visiting and uh, yeah, do that cool. as well. Absolutely. Anyway, well, I, I'd like to move forward and just ask Caitlin on her, uh, about her thoughts on the last game that she's been playing recently, which I already spoiled, which is Mass Effect Andromeda. So what's your progress in that? Did you beat it or have you just been delving into it? I yeah. am from what I can tell based on quest list. I think I'm halfway or ish through the main story. Uh, my total progression is obviously closer to a third of the way through, but that's there's a huge amount of uh, time waster side quests to do. So I think I'm halfway through the, the main story, um, which is further than I got the first time I started playing. I actually restarted and did a whole new game because I figured it's been forever since I played this and um, kind of wanted just a, a fresh start with a, with a new writer. Um, so... And it's, uh, it's. I mean, I don't think my opinion has super changed from when I uh, originally played it, but it's interesting coming back to this game um, after they've uh, made all of their improvements to it, some of which um, were really easy for me to pick out, like the increased inventory space and the, some of the, the changes that they made to... Uh, uh, there's something weird about the eyes in the original version of the game and uh, weird, stupid things like having certain features uh, be restricted based on which preset you choose chose for your for your rider, which is stupid. Um, but in other respects, I mean, it feels very much like what I remember playing um, back when it came out uh, last year. And uh, it's it's definitely... I don't know. I've been enjoying it for what it is, um, even though it's not up there with the previous trilogy, uh, both in terms of presentation and story and, and writing and whatnot. Um, so, I mean, it's not it's not a it's not the best Mass Effect. It's whatever, but it's it's been entertaining for what it has been, and I've I've gotten to. I'm getting to liking the characters. I think maybe a bit more than I did originally when I was playing it. Um, whether that's just because um, I've gotten further in the game, so I've gotten to know them a bit better, or if it's just that, you know, time and a little bit of distance coming back to something can help you have a a different opinion about things. Yeah, I wonder if it's a little bit of uh, shifting your expectations to match the experience, and that helps you enjoy it more. Mm -hmm. Like, the example that always comes to mind for me is Final Fantasy XII, because the first time I played it upon release, I was 
disappointed in the scope of the story and the sort of lack of characterization overall. But once I got in my head what Final Fantasy XII set out to accomplish, um, every time I revisit it, I, I liked it more and more. And now it's like in my top three Final Fantasies and, you know, top five, ten games of all time. I just love FF12 to death. And I think that shifting my perspective helped me appreciate it a lot more. So I wonder if it's like a similar thing. Yeah, yeah. I think when I first played it, it was at launch. So outside of like some early reviews, we didn't really know about how the game was going to kind of go down. And now it's like, I know it's it's easily the least liked Mass Effect, and yeah, you know, yeah, it's Mass Effect One is still probably better in terms of story, um, uh, but it's got its own uh, strengths. The 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 combat changes I think are really they're really fun. It's nice to have the freedom of mixing and matching your skills and uh, being mobile with the jump jets or the biotics if you if you're expecting the biotics um, to move around the battlefield. That's really great. I think that's the single best thing in a lot of ways about the game is mm. the the way they sort of opened up uh, combat like that. Um, and you can see they, they're, they're running with it. Um, I can see elements of this uh, th being thrown into Anthem, um, not just necessarily from Andromeda, but from the Mass Effect series in general. Like They have combos and stuff like that. And the, the ability to, to switch between javelins whenever you want, that sort of flexibility is is nice. Um, so I'm glad to see that they, they're kind of taking an evolution from Andromeda's more mix and match, really customizable combat into future games. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I definitely have tempered my expectations um, a little bit. And um, I, I mean, I guess I still have half the game to explore and see how I feel. I know that there's been the ending is also a, a sticker point um, for this game. So we'll see how I feel when I finally beat it. I'm not super expecting a lot because so far the big bad cat have been really dull and boring as enemies. So I won't be surprised if the ending is kind of, eh, but we'll see. Mm. All right. So that's my backlog. <laughs> yeah. That's Caitlin's backlog adventure. Yeah, it sounded like you were you were going to be going down that path to Andromeda when we were doing retro in character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you were just like I need to go back and do this. <laughs> I'm going to go back and do it, and then since I have the games on PC now, I'm going to uh, go back to Mass Effect Two since we were we were playing Mass Effect One for the for the podcast, and mm -hmm. I'll play that in Mass Effect Three, and I'll be like, the, it, they'll be the palate cleanser after Mass Effect Andromeda. Like, I'll play that. I will enjoy it for what it is, and then I'll play a better Mass Effect. Yeah, <laughs> go back to the good stuff. I'll, I'll go back to my Gare Bear. Oh, Garrus! <laughs> so much amazing. and I've never heard Gare Bear before. <laughs> right? That's just that's what, that's what I call him. <laughs> yeah, I'm just picturing his head on top of a Care Bear body now. Yes, that's. Oh, I actually I have a custom made plush that's kind of bear like. He has movable arms and legs. So wow, he truly is a Gare Bear. Yes. His little like uh, his little belly mark. What would it be? Would it be just like an assault rifle or something? Uh, like a a scope, a sk power scatter type thing. Oh yeah, like the the skill kind of like just like the crosshairs. That's mm -hmm. what it would be. There yeah. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Adorable. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. the The thing is, we're on episode one hundred and fifty today, which is quite a milestone. And 
we wanted to do something a little bit special, but unfortunately scheduling made it so that we could not. So you can hopefully look forward to uh, a little, little something extra for episode 151. That's what we're planning on. And then we got plans. Course, we do have plans. And then of course we have this fall's biggest RPG coming up very soon. Biggest JRPG at least. Dragon Quest XI releases next month. It's actually only like, what, a week and a half away or two weeks away? So we will have... Quick. Yeah, we'll yeah. have plenty to discuss about Dragon Quest XI um, very soon on the show, so you can look forward to that. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed the discussion we had today. If you have questions, comments, or spare potions, you can email us, podcast at rpgfan.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at rpgfancom and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. Uh, subscribing to us on iTunes or through RSS is great. What were you going to say, Greg? Sorry, uh, speaking to the 150 thing, I think it is worth mentioning, too, that Retro Encounter did just celebrate their 150 as well, uh, mm-hmm. catching up real fast uh, with the Mailbag episode. And I do recommend that fans of all RPG fandom go check it out. Yep, we shouted them out on the last episode for their 150. So if you listened to that, heeded the call and sent in some fan mail to them, they did read it on the episode and it is up now. So go peruse that at your leisure. Well, that's going to do it for us today, I think. So for Caitlin, Greg, and myself, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you all later.